All right, welcome back to our second installment of uh, our study through Deuteronomy here with Morgan Bird. And uh, we just wrapped up tonight looking at uh, really um, Deuteronomy 5 and then continuing on through a bunch of various scripture verses and um, chapters connecting uh, this study through the Ten Commandments and um, how Moses has... Uh, introduced those concepts to Israel, and uh, Morgan did a great job of just demonstrating that how how does the Ten Commandments and how it interacted with Israel, how does that pertain to us today? And um, uh, so, firstly, uh, for first off, uh, you kind of talked about what is the law, how does it apply, um, some different uh, characteristics of what the law is. So. Um, why don't you just start off with um, telling us uh, what is this idea of law, the natural law, um, and then how do we in- interact with it? Cool. Yeah. So I think uh, last week after we uh, came out talking about covenant a lot, I mean, we talked about how all of Deuteronomy is understood through the lens of covenant. And a covenant is just a relationship that is heightened because of certain promises or curses or blessings or threats. And so it's uh, it's a relationship that God makes with a person or a group of people, but it's elevated, it's heightened, because there are certain potential sanctions attached to it. And so the role of law in a, in a covenant, or in this particular covenant that God makes with Israel, is that this law then becomes the stipulations for them either receiving the promises or the th- or the curses uh, from having the blessings or receiving the threats uh, that 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 we're going to see we're going to look at those mainly uh, next week so this week we're seeing how the law uh, plays a role in uh, this particular covenant now I think it's helpful to, to note that all the covenants that God makes in the Bible fall into one of two categories as it relates to stipulation they either fall into a category of a works-based covenant or a grace-based covenant. Uh, in a works-based covenant, you have to perform an action in order to receive the promise. Or if you don't perform an action, then you will receive a curse. But in a grace-based covenant, um, you receive the promises and you will not receive the curses. And it's not dependent upon anything you do. It's not dependent upon your obedience. Well, this covenant that God made with Israel was an earthly covenant. It was a covenant made for them to go and inherit this promised land. Um, It was not a covenant for their salvation. It was not a covenant for them getting into heaven. It was not another way that people were saved. But for them to experience the promises and to avoid the curses that we're going to look at next week, they did have to obey. They had to obey this law that God was going to give them. Now, a couple of things to note about this law. Um, We talked about the distinction between natural law and then positive law. Now, in this instance, positive, we're not talking about like good vibes or something like that. By positive, we're talking about more than zero. You know, when you have a, a string of numbers, you've got zero. And then if you've got anything higher than zero, those are positive numbers. Obviously, anything less than zero is negative numbers. So positive laws are those things in addition to the natural law 
that are sometimes added into a covenant. And we, we started, we first, we talked about Adam. So God made Adam. Just because he made him, just because he was his creator, there was a natural law, and, and Adam owed God obedience. Uh, before God entered into a unique relationship, covenant relationship with Adam, Adam just had to obey because he had to, and there was nothing attached to it. There was no promise. There was no um, potential blessing connected to that obedience, but God's his creator. He's the creature, and he has to obey. But God did enter into a unique covenant relationship with Adam. He gave them the opportunity for blessing, for glory, for a unique, elevated kind of life if he would obey. And within that covenant relationship, God added some positive laws. One of those positive laws was that he should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what we said tonight is that there's nothing morally or naturally inherently wrong with the tree itself or eating from the tree. And so that's why we call it a positive law, because uh, the moral law is true always. The natural law is true in every, at all times, in all places, in every single covenant. It runs through every covenant. But a positive law is something that is added that takes on a moral significance because it has been delivered by God within that covenant. Uh, we talked about how in this, the relationship with God in Israel, circumcision becomes one of those positive laws. It's not something that has moral significance, but it takes on moral significance. In fact, there's times when it's treated very seriously. Uh, Moses' own child, when Moses heads back to Egypt, his own child is almost killed by God because he's not circumcised. And uh, later on, the whole nation of Israel, before they enter the promised land, they have to go through circumcision. But the reason we know it's a positive law is because when we get into the New Testament, we see it repealed. We see it no longer uh, serving a role in the life of God's people. And so if a law can be added and subtracted, that makes it a positive law. If a law cannot be added and subtracted, if a law is always a law, no matter what, in all times, in all places, that is a natural law. Uh, and then we talked about these, the threefold division of the Mosaic law, or the, the law given through Moses to Israel. You've got the moral, which we just talked about. You've got the civil, which is their geopolitical national life together, how God governed the nation of Israel. And then you've got the ceremonial law. And that was their worship life, their sacrifices, their tithes, their offerings, their Sabbaths. Um, not, not just the Sabbath day, but their actual feasts and festivals. Um, this was their ceremonial law. And it's, it's helpful to see that, that trifold distinction so that when we're wading through uh, what we see in a book like Deuteronomy, we can know what belongs to the natural law and then what fits in the category of positive law. And so those were just some basic initial framework things that we needed to set up so that we could, again, as we said last week, could read Deuteronomy as Christian scripture and understand how the book of Deuteronomy would apply to those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. So what are the commandments that, um, that we see in chapter 5? Awesome. So as we read through uh, these Ten Commandments in chapter 5, what we're going to see is that there's, there's ten of them. They represent the natural or moral law. But even in this giving of this moral law, um, you can clearly see that Moses is already embedding this law within the life of Israel in their particular unique uh, 
geopolitical, and also covenantal life with God. Um, but the, the Ten Commands themselves represent this, this abiding, all times and all places, moral law of God. And we're just going to read um, verses. Uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 6 to just give a little bit of context. And then we'll read down through uh, verse 21 so that you can hear how uh, Moses uh, delivers the Ten Commandments to the people here a second time. This is where we get the word Deuteronomy from. It means second law because Moses is now repeating it for the people before they enter the promised land. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 5 starting in verse 6. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God, sorry, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So Moses delivers this uh, second law, the second time uh, where he shares the Ten Commandments with the people. And uh, just by Brief, brief note, the first four commands, so the command to, uh, to only have one God, the true God, to not make images to worship, to not take the name of the Lord in vain, and the command to observe the Sabbath day as holy. Those four commands seem to relate more to our relationship vertically to God. But then the last six commands, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not covet. Those seem to pertain mainly to our relationship with one another, our, our horizontal relationships with each other. And if you really want to know what the whole rest, major portion of the book of Deuteronomy is about, starting in this chapter and going all the way to through the end of chapter 26 of Deuteronomy, Moses is essentially just preaching a sermon on the Ten Commandments. He's showing uh, the nation, how these particular commands ought to play out in their life together, um, how they ought to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind, um, how they ought to 
treat each other with their property, with their land, with their time, with their, with their, uh, how they frame their life, how they engage with men and women and families and, and authorities. And, and if they do end up having a king, how should the king relate to the law and um, all these things? And so uh, the bulk of this book is um, Moses applying the Ten Commandments into the, to the national life of Israel. Now, we are not part of the nation. We are not uh, under this covenant. In fact, this covenant has been abolished. It's no longer um, intact, or I guess I should say it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And so um, nobody is intended to follow these laws word by word, but that's not the point of Deuteronomy. That's not why God gave us Deuteronomy. The reason we have this long section of laws is that in them we're able to see how these Ten Commandments come to their full light in the life of people. That's a lot of the ways that we might interpret the Ten Commandments are actually highlighted and accented and brought out in unique and fresh ways as we see how Moses is expanding and then applying the Ten Commandments into the life of the people. And as we mentioned tonight, Jesus actually picks up in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and he actually gives his own sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, on the law as well. And so this is something Jesus is doing. He's trying to show us how the law presses down into our lives, how this natural moral law um, really actually plays out in the day-to-day life of, of people. And so this section of Deuteronomy is really insightful, really helpful for us to see what are these Ten Commandments and what would they actually look like in the life of a nation. And so what are the purposes for uh, the law today? Um, how does that uh, lead us to uh, 21st century here? Um, and what direction do we go from when we read these laws? Yeah, I think it's so important. Again, as we, we've been saying all along, we want to read this as Christian scripture. And so how can those of us who've put our faith in Jesus relate to the law? How can those of us, you know, we talked about earlier, the, these two different types of covenants. You've got covenants that are based on works, and you've got covenants that are based on grace. Uh, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we belong to a covenant that's based on grace. But Israel... Again, not for their salvation, but their covenant as a nation to be in the promised land was a covenant of works. And so how can we who are in a totally different kind of relationship to to God in this way relate to law? I think that's a super important question. And so we've got four things we want to share here about uh, how we uh, relate to the law. The first is this. The law both reveals our sin and it reveals the Savior. It reveals our sin because it shows us the ways in which we fall short of of God and His glory. Uh, we talked about when we t- just this, the very first command: You'll, "You shall have no other gods before Me." When Moses begins to explain this, the first thing he says is, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind." I mean, who of us can stand under that test? Who of us? knowing that what God demands and what God deserves is our all. Uh, Right there at the very beginning of the head of the Ten Commandments, we've already been convicted of our sin. But then it also reveals our Savior because it shows us who Jesus was. 
He was a man who delighted in the law of the Lord. He was a man who followed and fulfilled the law of the Lord. And in a sense, our salvation was won through his obedience. Our salvation is won because we receive his perfect record of righteousness. And so as we look to the law, the, the law reveals our sin, but it also reveals our Savior. Uh, the second thing is this. In, in, just in general, in society, the law has a restraining uh, factor that there's all sorts of ways that God has um, weaved his law into the life of societies to restrain people from doing bad things. Um, it's a good thing that people should not murder uh, others. And it is a good thing that people should know that if I murder someone, there will be consequences to this. Um, that's helpful even if you're not a Christian, even if someone's not a believer, even if they don't know the Lord. The restraining element of the law is important in our lives and in the life of uh, our society. Uh, the third thing is that the law redirects us. So for the believer, for those who have been saved by Jesus, who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who have been born again, uh, we are given this new life, this new heart, this new love, but that love needs to be channeled in the right directions. And the law shows us the, the, the paths that we run on to honor God. You know, we talked about in the second commandment how the second commandment, which it's, it talks about not carving an image for yourself. But when Moses begins to apply the second commandment, it's all about the way in which we worship God. And sometimes we think maybe that we have a good motive in doing something, and yet we're not worshiping God the way that he desires to be worshiped. And so we need God to not only give us a new heart that desires to worship him, but we also need his law so that we can know how to worship him. We can know how to rightly order our lives in ways that glorify him. And then the final thing is that the law leads us to rejoice. Uh, seven times in this section of Deuteronomy, the people are told to rejoice before the Lord. So there's this whole long section about the law. There's this whole long section about what God commands and demands from our lives. But embedded and woven throughout the whole thing is this invitation to find joy. And that's because when we are finally living life according to God's way, according to his word, uh, we might even say living life the way God intended it, we will enjoy him. We will find fellowship in, in him. And it's like we read, uh, we finished tonight reading uh, the very beginning of the Psalms in Psalm 1. Psalms 1, 1 and 2 say this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So these are the four ways that as Christians we relate to the law. Uh, it's not how we earn our salvation. It's not uh, how we somehow earn like the promised land or anything like that. Um, but we do uh, have our sin and our Savior revealed through the law. Uh, we experience a, a helpful, restraining societal element from the law. Our actions and our lives are redirected through the law. And then finally, we, re we rejoice as our lives become more and more conformed to God's heart through the law. And so those are all very important ways and helpful ways that as Christians we can relate to the law.
right. Yeah, that's really encouraging and even helpful just to think through all that and uh, how does this apply to us today and um, how can we um, just understand as we read Deuteronomy. And uh, it's just been really helpful for me at least to um, look at it through this lens of, uh, of the law and uh, how does it um, interact with us today. So I know that's been really helpful for me and the others in the group as well, hopefully for you as well, um, listening here. Uh, so next week we'll be picking up in uh, chapter 27 and going through chapter 30. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, man. Can't wait. All right. Thank you all for joining in. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.